That's how I feel after being out late at a birthday party last night. Thanks, Nia. Well, that's how uh, so, I feel now. <laughs> well, welcome to Carnival of Randomness. And I don't know what to say about this show. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. So I'll get the intros again. A cast out of the way. <laughs> well, yeah, thank you, Greg. Greg's trying to introduce you now. He's got a cast of oh, yeah. Well, I got somebody over here, and I got somebody and on the other side of me. Last time she was here, we're so thrilled there. to have <laughs> her back because we learned the whole mystery of Houghton. Mona's back. <laughs> Hello, glad to be here. And thanks again, especially because, like I said, I just heard you on the radio how you transported. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're very thrilled, and they have to uh, tell us. Oh, that's Ken over there, obviously talking. The real Ken, Ken. Colombo. Yeah, the real yeah, Ken. Yeah, 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 but I'm very thrilled. They have a new show coming up, House of Hands, playing at Muck, and they're going to tell us all the details because I don't want to because I'll goof them up. But, <laughs> you know, uh, late happy birthday, Mario, because you just had one. Uh-huh. Late happy birthday, Alexis! You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't dream of, it. you can't dream of what I hope we talk about a little bit. Obviously, we saw a crow before the show. That was cool, and of course, the ever present. She's still here, even though she's got that play on Broadway, MJ, named after her. So she's doing double duties. <laughs> There's MJ, a little under the weather, but in protective gear, so we're safe. Yes. Hi, MJ. Hello, hello. So, Mona, what have you been doing since last time we've been here? <laughs> Let's see. Well, we've got great lineups at the little cafe, but been doing a lot with classical. There's a new movie coming out called Tar, where Kate Blanchett's playing a conductor, and we're going to do a discussion on that November 9th. So classical music's kind of having a moment at the movies with there's a Leonard Bernstein biopic coming out, movie about 18th century composer Chevalier Saint-Georges, and then also this one with Kate Blanchett as a sort of power-mad um, conductor of an orchestra. That's not a stretch. That's, yeah. <laughs> And so that's that's sort of like looking forward to those things, but then also been really involved with trying to uh, get some meetings together to get artists together. So I'm glad to also see some theater folks here because we don't have an arts council in town, and this group Rock Arts United is trying to rebuild some of those connections. And so I'm glad to, we're going to be having some late October, early November gatherings where people can say what do they need because we have so many good creative people, but we don't have resources always for them. Yeah. Please tell me that the teachers will bring these kids out to see these movies and get them exposed to classical music. Please. <laughs> Possibly Field car trip. is a little too shocking, but the rest, Actually, yes. this is open, then Ken can say something after me because I'm the host, so I have priority. Uh, <laughs> uh, you meant mentioning, okay, like Kate Blanchett. Now, if anybody <laughs> wants to speak to this, because I've seen enough of your plays, where you play different genders and stuff. How do you go about getting into that? And this actually goes back, because remember, like, the movie Stage Beauty before, like, when there was even more sexism or stuff where, like, guys had to just play females because, you know, women were just in the old days or whatever. But how do you get into the mindset to play different characters? It's like MJ, Heather, and I always try to guess, uh, what are you going to play this time? <laughs> I like that. I like to keep people guessing. Anyone? <laughs> Well, do you have to immerse yourself in the character, right? I mean, you yeah. have to take on the traits of that and think how would that person think and act and, and I mean, react. It, yeah, it comes down to the script. I I look at the script first. It's the foundation. Um, what we do, something called script analysis, which is breaking down the character's motivations and then how they get the, the things that they want. I, it's all about psychology, at least for me. That's That's where I go. I go to the script and break that down, analyze that. And then bring in things like, you know, where does this character hold their energy? Um, how do they move? What's their physicality like? 
Do you so, do that yeah. after the script, or do you have a preconceived idea in your head first? I, I usually do that after the script. I'm a pretty cerebral uh -huh. actor, so I usually sort of take it from the out, the inside out. Yeah, okay. or you figure, like, in half your works, how to make fun of me during them sometime. <laughs> I love the one about passing me the bottle on the lawn. It's like, <laughs> I do enjoy that, Rob, I do. <laughs> These must have been the extracurricular activities of the stage. I'll tell you, I'm, this, is a, this is a little bit of a digression, just real quick. Where? That guy, what the, I can't. Evan Peters, mm. that actor mm. that does all yeah. those American horrors, and he does—he just did the Dahmer thing. That guy, to me, is incredible. He's a great actor, yeah. And, and it's like he just loses himself in whatever he's in, and you know that's a great to, to me. That that's the kind of skill that's just, just people don't think of that part of acting. I don't think You're they right. think of the you know the outward stuff. Anyway, anyway that's a done. <laughs> but also, it was a very fun show seeing the Bat Sisters. I was glad to see you there. And I was telling Katie and Cammie, I saw them when they first did that. I actually remembered, I was telling Ben that afterwards, when they came up with the wings at the bug jar. Mm -hmm. And Cammie was telling me afterwards, oh, I barely, was like, well, that was like almost 10 years ago, but that was lots of fun. You, we expect more like shows like that on that I stage? hope so, because the little theater, the big theater up front, is really a good setup for music. In fact, this Tuesday, Dana Kurtz, a touring artist, is playing. Yes. But my whole goal, I'm hoping, is to have... Like, obviously, like with the cafe, we have a lot of local musicians who are building audiences, doing good work, but sometimes with the theater, it takes something more. And I think, like, with having Hannah Piquet in the theater, having the Bat Sisters, there's a chance for certain of the acts that do well in smaller venues to get to use that beautiful big theater space in that way. And I think collaboration is a good way to do something that you don't see too often, like where Hannah got to bring some of her friends and. You know, so one artist is great, but seeing them, um, even on our Hockstein at High Falls concert series, having um, Benny Blue and John Dady work together when they hadn't done too much together before was brought both fans and brought new things out of each artist, too. And I think also, I, I think the idea of the theater, and I think also like going to Muck, you go to like this cool theater. It's part of the experience these days. I was just there last night for Rochester Ghost Stories, <laughs> which was super good. And because I'd seen Miriam Zintner tell them on Twitter, and then to see them as a sort of staged, you know, Kate Fox telling us Rochester history, but they also relate to like social issues of today. Like, so it was really cool. So I know that is this show that. That's what we'll, well, thank you. Good segue. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so Muck is a spectacular venue because of the. Uh, Largely because of the wide variety of things that that uh, productions that go on in there. Obviously, not just theatrical performances, music, spoken word, uh, interactive community events. So, um, great venue, and we have been in there. DVC Dream Visualize Create has been in there for many years. We've been doing shows in there since uh, for about ten years now, um, and uh, this is actually only our second show since 2019. For some reason. Uh, <laughs> And uh, but we are happy to be back. I don't know why. What yeah. happened? You just get did you get busy into gaming or something? Yeah. <laughs> was there something in the air that just didn't make you? Yeah, that was it. That was it. Something was just in the weird vibe. Yeah. Um, it's no live theater is. I've been told uh, more interesting when you have an audience uh, that's able to come to the show. So <laughs> sort of like an oxymoron. <laughs> so that's what we attempted to do was uh, until we had an audience. Um, and uh, we're not even, as you can see, uh, capable of not spreading germ amongst ourselves when they're not COVID-related. So we uh, we're all protected it's, here, it's, though. It's very so hard it's for a theater. It's very hard for a theater group to get through a show without uh, spreading some kinds of germs around. So, um, so we are doing the show is called the House of Hands, and uh, 
uh, it is taking place. Let me get that uh, those dates out of the way. As you were mentioning earlier, letting people know when this was happening. Uh, we open on Friday, October 28th. So we have shows uh, that weekend, the 28th, 29th, and 30th. And then we also are going Thursday through Saturday the following weekend. So that would be November 3rd through the 5th. Guy Fawkes Day, that's where we're going. We're going last for once. So. <laughs> and I was surprised when I brought my friend to the show yesterday that she said, what's muck and where is it? I had kind of thought it was such an established part of the community. When she came in, she's like, this is so cute. The art on the walls is nice. What a good size space. We had comfortable seats. So, yeah, it's on Atlantic Avenue. Sort of, I tell people, tucked behind writers and books, over by three heads. Like, yeah, it's a gorgeous little space. Yeah, it is uh, surprising that a lot of people are not familiar with it still at this point. We often get people asking questions about that, uh, the location of the theater. But So I just confused that with you, you, you? That's a, they're two different spaces. Two different spaces. Okay, you is you 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 is over on Clinton is State it? Street, State down? and that's where that's the art gallery um, where there's uh, they have jazz on Monday nights yeah, 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 for five dollars, yeah, yeah, yeah. where it's like being at jazz fest at midnight, except mm-hmm. like the second sets at ten thirty, and any people sit in, it gets. I think the latest I'd left was like eleven, and it was just like Thelonious Monk tune, people sitting yeah. in, getting crazier. Well, that's where the Eastman kids are mostly congregating. Yeah, right? so that's Monday, but yeah, you 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 and Muck totally different. Okay, now I'll turn uh, throw it back to our host here. No. <laughs> I'm confused now. <laughs> no, actually, but live theater, like, I, we just saw Spamel on Black Friday's back. And I'll tell you, the crowd just was so into it. And I think people have been just looking for this. I have a quick question. Mona, will the Empire State Film Group be doing any more of their um, joint work with photos or with pictures over at the Little? I think so. I don't know the full schedule, but I know they just did a few things with Fringe. They did something with uh, Miriam Cutler, who wrote yeah, the music yeah, for RPG, cool and they did, um, I think, a new version of, what was it, one of the Buster Keaton films over at Dragon. Yeah. So, yeah, I think they've got plans. I know, um, I love, that is, if you're on Empire Film and Media is another Correct. one of, ensemble, one of those sort of tucked away groups. They're sort of Eastman, they're Eastman, but they're more out in the community, too, and they do live to picture and animated stuff, and they play music with it live, so. Right. This li- live to picture, you mean play while something's playing? Yeah, yeah no, like the, the RPO. The RPO just did Harry Potter. Oh, I'm always yeah, amazed by cool. those two because I asked Grace when she was on here. Those are like long. I remember like at the, actually at the Eastman when they did Cant and the Canary that to play cool. the whole time during that. <laughs> yeah, like Tuesdays at the Dryden with Philip Carley. He says he normally goes, I think, for like a beer and like a back massage and like a hot, like steam room because it's like if you play a concert, you get rests or there's breaks between concertos and sonatas and whatever. And if you're playing a whole movie, that can be yeah, two whole hours of piano or yeah, right, right. Yeah, Nosferatu. I know they did Nosferatu a few years ago as a charity event for a submarine school, and you're playing for two hours. Well, I'm always like theater or other things. Also, like you're on stage, it's very intense. It's sometimes a shorter time than like a work day, but it's a very. It's not like you get a break to check email, like when you feel like it, kind of. But I was so. actually reading a biography, and it had, had that great quote by Mark Twain about uh, Wagner about his music is better than it sounds. <laughs> but they were yeah. saying where they would see Parsifal, and can you imagine putting this on? Some of these operas would run eight hours. Well, and the thing with Wagner operas being the cycles of them is actually they expected you to take a break for dinner and other things or do it. So, like, it wasn't... So, opera's reputation for being long, I'd say that Lord of the Rings movies don't have an intermission like the old (laughs) movies or the operas or the theater itself. So, like, I think it's constructed... Some of it is, yeah, it can be intense, but it's also, at least for the audience, I think it's constructed in a way that we can experience it 
as long as we're not trying to do it all at once. Like, you know, did, like the did you, ma- did you imagine do. doing that one? Like, okay, you have like a play. It's like, okay, go break for dinner. Come back for act two. Uh, <laughs> well, you know what? Did you ever watch some of those restored older movies and they have the little intermezzo parts yeah. in the beginning yeah. and in the middle between acts or something? I mean, is that something that was common and then just got cut out? When the, yeah, it, when the Eastman Theater opened, the first day was not just a movie. It was supposed to be all within two hours. You had a live dance performance, you had singing, you had the 1812 Overture, wow. and you had the movie, and you had an organ postlude. So we were like paying for like a full like you know music, theater, dance, whole entertainment sort of thing. But no cartoon. No, oh, actually, yes. And <laughs> cartoon, <laughs> cartoon and the newsreel. So, yeah. Right, she always has an answer. Who were some <laughs> of the, the more recent uh, directors that had an intermission put in? I know Kubrick did. In 2001, he had an intermission, and in, but that's about as recent as I can recall. I Monty if, Python, the Holy Grail, had an intermission. <laughs> Maybe when you have something exceeding three hours. It's, but it's weird, actually, post-COVID, I don't know if theater's doing this. I actually liked, though they're back to normal, when I went to the Chicago Symphony, they did a, this is where we're used to the intermission at concerts, is they did a 90-minute or 80-minute no-intermission concert, so we didn't all get up, talk and buy drinks and breathe on each other and go back. We were kind of getting us in and out as soon as possible. So I go back and forth on the value of the intermission because sometimes I'm like, just keep the show going. Don't let me break my mood and then let me, you know. There's actually a lot of, uh, a lot of modern theater is um, sort of going without uh, intermission. Uh, There are a lot of productions um, that run like say an hour and a half or so. I guess that's usually about the stretch of it, an hour, 90 minutes, an hour and 40 at which point they either, you know, at that point, if your show is longer than that, then they typically have an intermission or a break. But um, it was pretty standard to have intermission at least one, uh, you know, traditionally in theater. But there are a lot of playwrights and a lot of uh, modern theater and shows. I, I'd say really at this point, it's probably been the past, you know, 15 or so years now, uh, where there have been a lot of uh, um, shows that run straight through without an intermission. DVC has actually um, done some of those shows. Uh, that's an interesting dynamic between having a show that has an act one and then, you know, a 10 or 15 minute break and then a return and start up again with that. This show is does follow that pattern of having an intermission and, and two acts. Um, but we've definitely done some shows that don't have an intermission and go straight through. And that has it's just an interesting dynamic um, between that and, and having, you know, the break and people kind of mingling or, uh, you know, kind of coming out of the theater experience and then getting back into it again. Yeah, That's, I was going to say it kind of breaks the fourth wall thing. Yeah, it's definitely an experience, uh, a lot of thought. We put a lot of thought into, you know, what is the last thing that, uh, the last images or moments that the audience is going to have before the intermission. You want to lead them into it right. with this desire to come back and see more and, and have that, you know, connection with them over that break. And then when the audience comes back in... Of course, for Act Two, you want to come in with something that's going to draw them right back in. So there's something romantic about the coming back and the curtain coming up. And you know what I mean? It's there's that's kind of a cool thing too. Yeah, it you know as I, like I said, it's kind of a trick. Luckily, um, we've decided that the way to do it is to have Alexis um, talk at the end of Act One and then come out and talk at the <laughs> beginning only, of Act Two. That's the only time I talk during the show, though. I, right? I think actually MJ's intention uh, in putting this uh, show together was uh, to ensure that you were going to be doing. A lot of talking. Yeah. A lot of talking. We... 74 pages of it. Yes. Oh, wow. so, yeah. Yeah, my, my memory's like seven years gone, but I think like at your last play. <laughs> uh, uh, wasn't it just one act? Cause I... It was. Yes, that's what I, I wasn't what imagining it. About. Was it? <laughs> it, was, it yeah, was... it was one act because I was sort of surprised because it was like the, I think the last thing we saw was a, 
the Romeo and Juliet one, which I don't want to pronounce because I always goof it up. Ruslan and Yelena, yes. You make me look small, man. <laughs> <laughs> a modern day Russian Revolution. That's yeah, that was. Small. We definitely did that yeah. in a. I mean, that was a, a you know a, an adaptation of Shakespeare, and uh, you know was an necessitated the break. Yeah, you can't really go all the way through. That's why did you sit over here? <laughs> and not unless you do some significant some significant shopping. We did significant <laughs> shopping, and it still couldn't. So. Um, yeah, but in this case, in the house of the case of the House of Hands, this is uh, portrayed as a memory play. So we're getting our, our main character, who is named Alexis, spelled differently than our actor portraying it, named Alexis. <laughs> uh, the um, the main character is uh, providing us uh, m- most of the, the experience of the play is uh, watching events that happened over the previous five years that led to where the character is at this point in his life. So. The um, the the story's told through that actor, and then the majority of the show, then I guess, would be seen through flashbacks. There's a lot of scenes. We get through a lot of scenes in the show. It moves pretty quickly, and there's a lot of flashes of events. So many scenes last, you know, a minute long. Uh, so in that case, um, it leads to a lot of uh, technical issues, right? Sounds, right. many many light changes, because usually. A good way to designate the passage of time in theater is a light cue or change of some kind. And so it was just a process of uh, adapting this because uh, it was first a novel, actually part of a, a trilogy. So we've got the first part of a trilogy, and we're translating it to the stage. And uh, this actually was a film project uh, not so long ago. Um there were, were very much through the process. MJ was very much through the process of putting this together as a film. Um, and then we were weeks away from uh, starting the process. And that was the beginning of 2020. And then something happened. I don't know why we didn't do it. Oh, so, <laughs> Mysterious. Uh, who, decides who's, who decides what shows you're going to do? What plays you're going to put on? Uh, so we have... Um, so DVC does have a, 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 a board of... Uh, of which Alexis is a member. Okay. MJ and I are uh, primarily um, the the ones who kind of come up with where what direction we're going to go in. We DVC wants to do the focus is to do either shows that no one has uh, seen before. Our mission statement is about doing uh, shows that are um, uh, socially conscious and relevant, and uh, you know, the idea is to make socially conscious, relevant, affordable theater for the Rochester community. And we also want to challenge the audiences. So when we sit down to think about what we're going to do, we're often either doing things that haven't been done before, or if we are doing something, like in the case of Romeo and Juliet, for example, uh, we want to show it in a very different way. We want to find a way to make it very uh, meaningful to present time and to the people that are seeing it and uh, accessible and um, to find a way to uh, take those old pieces and, you know, continue to show why they still exist and need to be performed. So um, so that that's part of the process then is just thinking through that um, and figuring out where do we want to go from here, what are ideas or concepts that are meaningful uh, to us and that we think need to be, you know, discussed. So... Um, so that's really the step is just a small group of people. Usually starts with MJ and myself. Uh, so from there, do you figure out a budget process and what you're going to need and sets and so on and so forth? Yeah, so this is a long, yes, this is a long process. The pre-production process is, uh, 
often quite long, much longer than the rehearsal process, um, because uh, DVC is self-funded. So there's what can we afford to do, and how are we going to do it? It all goes back to starting with the concept. What is the concept of the show? That, what's the concept we have for the show that we're going to do? And how do we get that concept across? And everything you do from guiding the actors through a scene to figuring out the lighting cues, uh, all of these things happen based on what is the concept that we have for the show. And things like budget and process of getting things together, props, uh, set design, uh, all of those things come off of that. Um, but yeah, we have a, I mean... The people you were seeing in this room who are, you know, one is the writer and the other and, and are playing, you know, significant uh, main roles in the show are also um, painting and hammering and nailing. Alexis is actually our head constructor of the set. It's and, a drill. I haven't used a hammer this whole time. Okay, okay. Well, it's been something. I, one of those tools. Um, She's a rage with a nail gun. It's been pretty, it's been pretty interesting. Um, so, yeah, it's all hands on. Our board, I just talked about that small board of people. Those are people that are involved in shows and uh, carry heavy objects yes. <laughs> and lift things and put things together. And we have a bunch of stuff sitting in our storage space, uh, platforms that got to come out to form, you know, the the, the floors for the oh, stage. We have oh, no. a whole bunch of other stuff sitting that we constructed sitting in a, a garage. Week from today. That's a, week from today. a week from today, yeah. Mon, our jobs are easy. Yeah. That's the goal. We have some things that have been repainted many, many times. Right. Um, right. So how do you take what you already have and turn it into something else? Yeah, yeah for sure. Winter becomes summer. That's yeah. what I like, though, about like both. If you take classical music and theater, like around here, like I just went to the the Chopin show, mm -hmm. and I admit, like I actually had not heard of some of the other composers on the list. Oh right, Jennifer Higdon was on yeah, there. She's yeah. contemporary. And I just amazing didn't know. And now, what I liked also were like the changes and like the tempos and everything. But I always there's always something new. And what I've always said I've loved about DVC is we're not seeing like the millions. Millions version of Annie or something. We're seeing they dig and they do challenging things, which makes it hard for me to make fun of them sometimes afterwards because it's too serious. But <laughs> I can't do. I'm going to hand it to you for something like this. Well, not, uh, oh, go ahead. No, yeah. go on, please. Oh, it's just I sort of the role that arts have. You know, is it to challenge us? Sometimes it is to entertain us. But I think the sometimes people think of the entertainment side over like all the other things it does. Mm -hmm. Some of it is bringing us together. I play in a lot of community orchestras, so the whole being involved making it does something, you know, and a lot of us who enjoy watching it are involved in bigger or smaller ways in making something as well. We do all, I think, even if we don't think of ourselves as artists, have creative parts of ourselves, but also this idea of thinking about stories, retelling them, telling new stories, and I love coming back to a canon because I do like relating to shared stories, but finding something new with it, not just repeating yourself. But yeah. you have this sometimes, too, where I still find, like, in music, and Ken can say this, and Greg, I'm sure everybody, we've been doing this a long time, but you find something you never heard of before, and you go, wow, how did I miss this? This is just... I love, there's a quote I still have on my desk that someone said at a radio conference, which is, part of it is, our audience, it's okay if they don't love or they don't like everything we do because they'll go a long way to find one thing they truly love. Yeah. And so it's okay that, like, you know, and that's what makes this kind of amazing is, sure, like, that's, that's okay, that's okay, that I don't like. That is 
I would take all that only okay or bad stuff to find this one truly amazing thing. So, right. and it's always when the, whenever you're doing something new, I'm like, wow, this is different. I might not have heard of that. It's not like the same thing. Though if you did Roar sometime, I'd go see it. I like that one. Yeah. <laughs> There's a, there are a lot of reasons why people do theater or arts in general, right? And as you said, it serves many purposes. And so, and all of those are valid. But uh, DVC is just. Um, you know, we found what it is we feel like we should be and need to be doing and what and, and how we'd like to do it. And so um, that by definition is going to create a situation where people are going to not everyone is going to make uh, is going to be comfortable. Right. We'd like to be comfortable. And uh, it's, you know, the role of art mo- much of the time to make us not comfortable. So there's that, you know, and so. I guess challenging is the word that we often use because, um, you know, of course you want people to come and appreciate and connect to, and I guess for lack of a better word, like the art that you're doing. Mm -hmm. But uh, at the same time, as you stated, if you're acknowledge what you're doing and why you're doing it, then by definition, that's going to mean not everybody's going to walk out saying, you know, being uh, uplifted or or in have enjoyed themselves necessarily but not that the house of hands is not a very enjoyable uh show because it certainly is we have found interesting par- bits of humor in it uh throughout the process in the script in ways that a lot of the scenes have come together and, and in a lot of unusual places but um you know it's it's a coming of age story and uh it's actually set in a fantasy world it's a uh, a progressive fantasy, so it, it mimics uh, in many ways. It mirrors um, aspects of our own society, um, but the show deals with issues like um, social class and structure, and uh, perceptions of gender, and our characters going through uh, maybe a transformation, a situation that not everyone connects to, but everyone understands the concept of growing up and figuring out who they are in the face of uh, challenges such as familial expectations and societal expectations and having feelings for another person. There's a, a great uh, sense of you know romance in this show. Um, and so all of that uh, makes for an interesting character that is being portrayed by Alexis. Thank you, I hope you, so. You, you can, <laughs> yeah. that, I hope I'm uh, doing him justice. Is it, is it bad if I just like sort of pass this to you uh, that you're going to uh, discuss this character in some way. Ooh, what does that mean? The hand on no. I will say, I've it. seen the pictures, the stills, I put them up on the page, yeah, and nice, they huh? look like almost like an old, you know, those old-time cameras or whatever, like those old pictures like you sit yeah. there. Yeah, that was the goal, I think. That was. Kelly Kester did some amazing pictures Phenomenal. for us, and uh, we love that. We always have great pictures for our show, because Kelly Kester does a great job of taking photos for for promotional purposes, and then and that dragon takes our photos uh, when we're in production, and so we have some great pictures of that. So we never have a lack of of amazing images to look back on <laughs> after we do a production. So well, that's cool though, because then you can trace the progress and the outcome from the inception to the you know to the end. I think it's always neat to see all that behind the scenes. And I think it's interesting because a lot of times, as an actor, you don't get to see what it looks like. Right. Honestly, right. especially in theater, yep. because you're just always I'm up in the there. Moment. Yep. I'm seeing 
people's silhouettes in the dark, and I have no idea what it looks like. Right. I honestly just hope I don't look like a, <laughs> like a fool. During, That's a good point. During Tech Week, I do. we're in like the theater, and I'll see actors creep out when they're not in scenes and kind of look at things, right. and I'm like, what are you doing here? And they say, we've never seen the show. Right. Like, <laughs> you're yeah. in this every minute, all day long, rehearsal every day, and then you get to the show, and... Like, what's this look like? Right. <laughs> Alexis never leaves the stage, really, oh, except for the intermission. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you're only seeing it from the perspective of being there yeah. at the time. Well, so. it's like recording music, and then, oh, do you ever listen to it? You know, after right, you record right. it. Like, I, I listen to some of my bands once in a while, but then you think, well, why am I even bothering? It's like, you think it's just an ego stroke, you know? But sometimes you want to know what, what, you know, how what's the whole thing sound like? You want to know what the whole thing sounds like outside of your part in it. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> Well, that's another thing. Go on. Keep, go, How Ken. old is the uh, the theater group? Uh, DVC. Well, so we started out, I'm a teacher at Wilson Magnet High School, and I've been teaching in RCSD for, I'm well into my second decade. And um, so I've been, uh, that it started as a group of students. It was a an after-school, like, club at Wilson. We didn't have any arts program or anything. Shockingly, uh, and <laughs> people, and we had some kids that were interested in like getting together just to talk about theater and movies, and we did that for a couple years, and then it evolved into doing uh, skits and you know ten minute pieces, and then eventually we sort of cleaned up the Wilson Theater enough to do a show on there, and and then through, as things kind of developed and grew over the years, I had fortuitously my sibling MJ uh, with a vast wealth of knowledge of how to do theater in an effective and meaningful way and uh, and uh, and was we went through the process of kind of evolving from there at this point uh it is a collection of uh students that i still um you know they're current students at wilson a couple of them are involved in all of our productions and a lot of students who've graduated uh from wilson who are uh, in their in their 20s um you know college age and uh, local members of, of the community, the arts community. And so we sort of together have uh, created this uh, theater company. We officially moved out into, as a community theater group, uh, when we moved into Muck. That was the first show that we ha had uh, done, uh, like I said, in 2012 or something at this point. And, um, and since so, it's just been this continual process of having people, connecting to people in the, in the Rochester arts community, and staying connected to people. I mean, there's people in all of the shows that I've known since they were, you know, 15 years old. Yeah. And uh, it's really interesting to watch that process. So it's about 10 years old. About 10 years old. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, I, I mean, I started it back in, you know, the, the kids will tell you, the kids that are now 38 years and old. And I remember uh, them from the beginning. That's the thing. We'll tell you that the club existed since 2000. Uh, but yes, as, as we currently exist um, in this incarnation, it's been about 10 years. Mona has some... Well, it just got me thinking about arts in the schools. I've been talking with people who are part of the group Teaching Artists Rochester, which is the reborn um, young audiences, which is mm -hmm. what help gets like artists into classrooms or into assemblies. And there's like the different parts. They're getting to do the art yourself as a student, which who gets that? You know, who has a school orchestra, who has a school theater program, and making sure that there are more opportunities like that. Mm -hmm. But then also getting to see and experience Experience, different art and different cultures. So that's something you've been able to bring more of to your school or to the students there. Yeah, yeah I think, I mean, I, I can't speak to what other drama programs were like or anything, but I do know that uh, there, it seems to me a significant difference with a lot of younger people who have theatrical experiences. They may have more uh, 
I don't know, being bigger budget exciting shows or something, but they don't um, have their ownership of being a part of it. Like they're playing a character in it or the, you know, they're kind of being directed specifically whatever their role is in the piece. And so the idea from the beginning was that DVC was very collaborative, continues to be now that we're working largely with a group of adults. But the idea throughout was that people would um, be part of the decision-making process and that DVC... The idea is that we talk about DVC being a family. And this mm -hmm. is why a lot of our audience are people that have come back that were a part of DVC 10 years ago that are coming now and reconnecting with everyone and, uh, you know, making art still a part of their lives. My goal is just to have art be a part of these kids' lives throughout their lives. Mm -hmm. And I... You know, I think well, that's more important. Yeah, than... like everyone here probably has some memory of being in school and something, whether it's the band or theater or dance, you know, like that's kind I'll of... I'll never forget, I've told this story many times, but it still means a lot to me. It's one of my... This is why I give, like, to a lot of the local things, like I'll plug Girls Rock, Submarine School, all those my favorites, <laughs> that one of my friends was telling me how much he hated school. And he said, you know what, the only reason I got through school... I was in band, and I knew I had to do okay in school to keep playing in band. If it wasn't for the music, I would not have made it through school. I can relate to that. <laughs> well, I could see that. If yeah. you're a drummer, what happened? Well, no, but I mean, I was in a marching band and all that. I mean, yes. I, but the most part, I wasn't crazy about school, but the band thing was, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and I just saw pictures online of uh, the Rochester, the Pride of Rochester, the city school marching band, and it was mm -hmm. so cool. They were working with kids from Victor, like, as a kind of collaborative mm -hmm. back and forth, and I just, I love seeing things that grow between schools or start to merge the school and the community. Yeah. Like, I think it meant a lot to me as a kid to play in a side-by-side, -side, like, next to professional musicians, mm -hmm. like, as a high schooler, being like, oh, wow, this is what it's like when it's not just me and our, like, friends misbehaving in school. Or, you know, like, I mean, mm -hmm. we're always trying, but it was, like, made us sit up a bit straighter and, like, think a bit more and, you know. Yeah. I think it fosters I still remember competition that in a good way, and it, and it makes you want to excel in a good way rather than just trying to get one up on somebody or... Or dressing better, you know what I mean? It takes away a lot of that. It's, it's, yeah, it's working together, but also working. Yeah. To and you push really yourself. have to too commit to two. We've seen some musicians, like recently, especially they really have to commit to what they play too. Right. <laughs> really good. I'm gonna say too, Mona. Like in terms of the little too, you've got quite the diverse lineup there. Have you? We've got a, it's an interesting thing. What is that space? It can't, whatever it is, it can't be too loud because we've got the movie theaters there. That's but... why you haven't had like death metal yet yeah. or anything. <laughs> but we have, um, I'm trying to think, we have, uh, speaking of students, we have East Rochester's uh, group, Rushing Dove, the Black Rose. They're uh, an Irish band, so being in school band there doesn't necessarily mean playing like, you know, your typical wind ensemble or jazz band music. They have an Irish band. I think it's Mark okay. Galman leads that, leads that. And they gig, so they're coming to play in a couple weeks. Um, Got, um, I think, uh, Hannah P.K. doing a Monday residency in November, and I really love her, a great local blues musician. Oh, she's who's awesome. Worked, yeah. She's great. Yeah. Got a Taurus Savant. I've got some jazz, some folk, classical guitar night the first Sunday of every month, and now the harp students have asked, not every month, but maybe once a quarter, can we do harp night at the Little? So, class, guitar night. Is there night, enough class, to support that? There's, I think enough kids for maybe once every three or four months they can put together a little recite, you know. Cool. Thing. And I love guitar to me as like a real bridge of an instrument. Someone will be into like Hendrix and Andres Segovia and right. it like, you know, it crosses the it crosses a lot of genre lines. So guitar is a fun one. And we pack the cafe for classical guitar night, like which is on a Sunday, which is really fun. So that's first Sunday of every month. One of the shows that really surprised me is when we were doing three times 88, which to refresh everybody's memory was three pianists at the little cafe 
uh, each playing piano. You know, we kind of stole a night uh, away from the guitarists because they're all, all over the place. And one night that we had, uh, I think it was for a fundraiser for the uh, Rochester Music Hall of Fame, we had Aaron Kurz on. He was, at the time, a, a senior in performance, or he had come back to Eastman for postgraduate work or something. Aaron is now on uh, on tour. He's mm. he's a bona fide concert pianist. One of our guests was Avis Reese, and she's, you know, out on tour with Danielle with Ponder. With Danielle Ponder, that's right. An amazing that's right. Work. And she was a guest, as a matter of fact, on the three times yeah, every day. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of that series. And that, yeah, so we also now do have a songwriter night, a Nashville-style songwriters mm-hmm. in the rock. Um, Alex Gettle and Chris Bethman. Chris Bethman teaches, I think, at East High School or one of the city schools also. he They bring up different songwriters. That's back to guitarists again. But you were saying, uh, yeah. yeah. but what I was that's thinking awesome. was that's that great. with Aaron he and I actually met before he performed that um, that week at the, the little cafe, and he said, well, what would you like me to do? And, you know, there was something in my head that was, it gets back to the guitarists, because they always come out, and they shred, and they shred, and they shred, and they you know, look how I can play 49,000, you know, 17th or 16th notes in, you know, two seconds. And I told Aaron, give us something that's really, you know, pyro Plastic here, you know. <laughs> and he turned around and he played a piece by List. It set the house on fire, and I'm not even kidding. Pyrotechnical, and there's there's definitely um, an audience for that, even at the little cafe. Yeah. Get to getting some folks, and maybe we could talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> putting a resurrecting three times eighty-eight with a little bit of a different twist. I would love to do. I think the piano is also an instrument that falls into. You know, it's there with musical theater. It's there with it's so everywhere. many different styles. It's and everywhere. I think people have a lot of. You know, it's part of our culture in a way that, like, perhaps not as strongly, but there was at the turn of the nineteenth and the twentieth century, Etude Music Magazine, all the you know everybody learning piano and. Even the culture of, I think, like in your Jane Austen type books of, oh no, is the cousin going to come out and play the piano and we're all going to have to sit there and <laughs> listen and clap politely for, you know. Yeah, yeah that, could be, that could be something. There's, well, actually, there's actually sort of that a theater. evening's entertainment back yeah. in the day. There's right? actually a theater question. This could go to the classical music because yeah. I like all the changes, like I said, during the concert I saw during. But like dealing with perspectives, because I've always heard like Ken Kesey's books are difficult to read, and I don't think they are, but where you do from one character. Perspective to another. I liked. Hey, I liked. I thought they were easy to read. But oh, were you tripping? Well, you were really. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you their point. I get no respect. But when anyway. you're like, say you're dealing like at a play, like doing a, a work where okay, character number one starts, but then it goes to character number two, character number three. You keep swifting around. Is there like sort of a difficulty in making sure the audience follows like which person? <laughs> Uh, so I think that's where directing comes in because you kind of have to make sure that that comes across and that's kind of the the biggest challenge of it. I've just been stuck in reading novels where like the question is a lot of people that complain about some of them were, you can't tell which person is talking or what's pointing on because of that. That's why. So I think theater has less of a problem than, than novels in that sense. (laughs) That's true. And this, this, uh, novel, uh, this, the house of hands was written, uh, it's a first-person narration, so we're hearing the story through Alexis, and we're doing that on the stage as well. So, for one thing, Alexis just pointed out, visual <laughs> helps a lot. <laughs> but uh, also, see my face. It is interesting because we are hearing the story through the perspective of a single person. We've discussed that a lot in the process. Um, you know, I've had those conversations with MJ about. 
that this directing process is, um, uh, as I've said, DVC always wants to be, we aim for as much collaboration as possible. That's how you get the best work out of getting everybody's insights and putting things in and working together on things. In directing this piece, it was so, uh, has already been constructed. It was more about how do we get these ideas across in a live format as opposed to where it was intended to be in a film or initially, you know, people are reading off the page. As you said, very different experience. So how do we create those moments? And so, you know, my job as a director at this point, since I have the writer sitting next to me through the process, which is extremely helpful, is are all of these images and ideas and moments translating so that I can sit there and take a look at it and say, okay, what do we want to get across? And is this how we're getting it across? Um, and we've talked a lot about how, you know, we're following the character of Alexis through this story. And we still have to understand that we're seeing his memory. And so the way that things are being framed and shown, we accept them as actually, you know, being real, actually have, having happened. But uh, it still affects how you stage a scene. Is this your uh, Rashomon moment where it matters <laughs> there how you who go. saw? <laughs> yeah. Well, right. So there's that's a, a um, an instance where we're getting uh, perspectives of multiple people, right, and then looking at the the same situation from from different people's perspectives. So yeah, it was just about how do we tell this story in, a, in an engaging way. And obviously, there's moments where Alexis is speaking you know, seems to be speaking directly to you. And then a lot of times we're going back into moments and in and out of moments. And then Alexis has this power to affect and shape. I think that's the biggest thing is that Alexis has the power to stop moments in the memory at certain points and come out of those moments. And so we see his reaction to them in, the, in that instance. But yeah, I mean, I think the perspective frames things enormously, especially in Alex's relationship with uh, Kate, who is, uh, you know, the, the, the character that uh, this that d he meets when he's lost in this this whole new world, experiencing this this uh, environment that he's never been in before. And, and uh, Kate is there to protect and support and the romance that develops between those two characters. We're seeing that all from one of the two characters perspectives. So it's it's relevant to the. Yeah. The pieces That's what I like kind of place to the great composers, too, is like when you read about you put the classical music into context, what were they battling in terms of censorship? What was going on? What could they do then? But I was going to ask, I probably asked you this before, Mona, how did you actually first get into classical? Um, listening, my parents, uh, I, listening on the radio, and my parents took me to concerts, and then I wanted to play, actually, I wanted to play violin like Sherlock Holmes. Mm. <laughs> so... <laughs> And that we had, you know, five whole violinists in our tiny school, but would I pick up the viola, which is basically like, you know, I was like, is it the same thing, kind of? Sure, I'll do it. It's a fifth lower, so it's just one lower string. But, and, uh, so yeah, and it has the lower, more, I guess, mellow tone. There are a lot of jokes about it, as I was telling before <laughs> in the show. We're sort of the, I think there are 11 pages when I was younger on the internet, like early internet, that my dad printed out. 11 pages of viola jokes cut out the ones he thought were indecent for me <laughs> you know tell you when you're older ones but and I, I could follow this there but i hope you don't mind me thinking of texture and tone something they said earlier about theater no, is interesting this is good. yeah this is... that about the way the lighting changes or there are different ways you can signal it as a big movie buff mm -hmm. which may have come out in some of my reference that like Little Women, the Risa Greta Gerwig one, some people said they didn't know what time it was, but I felt the whole language of cinema told us by the shift in the color, the light, the feel. Yep. And it wasn't like, you know, they announced five years earlier. It just mm. changed. And if you were tuned, and that's why, although I love reading, when I watch 
cinema, and I guess I should look for it more in theater, their visual cue, the whole feel that you can change something without saying it, as opposed to when I'm reading a book, you have to say, now this is happening, kind of. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> and I mean, you have, you obviously, going with the idea, everyone's brain is different. Not everybody's going to pick up on it, and but you just try to get it across the best you can. That even goes to us looking at the script and saying, this scene takes place in early evening, this scene takes place in the morning. I mean, we have limitations. Muck has a nice new light design <clears throat> board that is far superior to what they had in the past. You can do a lot of um, subtle things with it. But it's still creating the idea of what does morning look like when this yellowish and orange yeah. light comes on versus what does it look like later in the day. And... And then, so we have a lot of, this is the next day, or this is a couple weeks later, and nobody holds up a card showing that, so, you know, how do you do that? You do it with the, the sound cue. <laughs> right. Right. We'll never forget, there was one, there was one play they did, I'll have to say the name again, because you know what I'm talking about, where they, what they did was they, they blacked the theater out. Remember? Oh, black comedy, yeah. yeah. This one you have to hear about, this is... Uh, so the show is designed. So this is a published, you know, show. This is one. This is actually one of the more, dare I say, traditional DVC shows. In that it's an actual published show that many people perform. But uh, it, it's it's a a one act, and the idea behind it is that the audience, when the audience can see the actors, it's dark on the stage for the actors, and when the audience can't see the actors, the actors are conducting themselves normally. So you have complete darkness, and you have to have actors walking around and talking and acting like everything's fine. And then uh, the lights come up, and all of the actors act like they can't see anything at all. And then there's an in-between where if someone turns on a flashlight or lights a match, there's some darkness. So you, you modulate the light cues that way. That actually was not very difficult to light, because it was either the lights are up, or the lights are down, or the lights are at half, or whatever you're going to put them at. It did not require a lot of... Uh... It is hard to pretend you can't see, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's true. It's also hard to pretend you can see... When you're walking around a room, but nobody knows if you've fallen over anything because they can't see you. Yeah, that's, but yeah, that's easier, actually. The, the play is written that it's a good almost five minutes where the audience is just sitting in darkness. Okay, so here's my segue that I was going to ask before. Sure. Have you ever considered doing radio theater where you take away the sets and so on and everybody goes back to the imagination of the mind about the story that you're going to tell? So I DVC has not uh, done that, but I there there are groups in Rochester. There are a couple of groups in Rochester that have done that sort of thing. And uh, oh, I've just been reminded that actually we did do something similar to that. Uh, there is a a play called uh, Kill Shakespeare that um, is a modern. It's actually started out as a graphic novel. It's a comic series, uh, and uh, I found it pretty interesting. It, took all of Shakespeare's characters and combined them together into a, a different style of story, Hamlet being the main character, of course. And uh, I contacted two, uh, two writers from Canada. Um, Connor McCreary, I think. And I, yeah, yeah, it's Connor McCreary. Yeah, I want a shirt at that because I was like the comic book nerd and I could answer the comic book questions. So I... <laughs> Connor McCreary, contact, I, I wrote, you know, I just got in touch with him on social media and I said, hey, I really like this comic series. Would you mind if I made a play out of this? And he said, well, actually... We have one, but it's it's designed. The design of it was that there were like many images from the the comic on a screen, and the actors would sit at. We ended up constructing these medieval-looking benches and kind of angled them. But essentially, the actors had the scripts, and they were basically doing voice work. Right? They were voiceovering 
a uh, a viewing of images on the screen. And so in that case, yes, we did that without, uh, you know, costumes or elaborate set designs. We did have to worry about tech, though, because you had to make sure that the images moved at the right pace and that the screen worked. And Muck didn't have a screen at the time, so uh, Kelly Flagel, our uh, set designer, uh, built a giant screen to put up there. Um, so, yes, I guess that we have had the experience of doing that. And it um, does remind me of a group that I don't know if they're active in Rochester anymore. Do you know about Tabletop Opera? They have taken operas like um, like a Strauss Opera, Salome, and they've uh, had comic books drawn for projected behind them and I'm done these like, like graphic novel integrated opera performances. They've also done... Cole Porter wrote a ballet about immigration called Within the Quota back in like the 19-teens, talking about immigration quotas, and they've done that as part of Fringe. I think someone from the group had passed away, but it was like Eastman and Community, but they were somehow combining comic books and opera. It was Debussy's Peleus and Melisande. They did a really good dramatic performance. But yeah, lining cool, it all up, yeah, cool. but with the singing, awesome. which is also... I keep hoping, and I see more and more of it, you even mentioned your photographers who have done things, is that we have these different areas of arts in Rochester, and even within each art, we each have our own group, and we have to focus, but when we can find those ways to collaborate, like, do you know that band, or that person plays that instrument, mm -hmm. or actually there is a person that does that kind of dance that goes with that show. I love seeing when we can sort of, like, get closer to each other uh, The kids, the, the students at um, Wilson Magnet, the only ones that volunteer for the group that you're... Uh, so, we have, um, I would say that most of the people involved... Uh, if you look at the, you know, what DVC constitutes the DVC family as a whole, which right now, so I send out emails to over a hundred people that, you know, have been students of mine uh, at one point in time, whether they graduated last year or 15 years ago, um, that are part of the DVC family. So if you look at that as a whole, then the majority of those people were students uh, from Wilson High School. Uh, but at this point, you know, we, we have... Uh, we're working with some people actually that we've never worked with for the first time who do a lot of local theater um, who are, are just coming in being part of this DVC production that are, you know, in my age group that uh, have seen DVC shows and um, have worked with various members. You know, MJ was very instrumental in connecting us to other groups and organizations. So we've kind of expanded in that way. But, yeah, we've always have the roots in that. Um, there's always a little Wilson uh, reunion sort of thing that happens when people come to the shows. Um, getting a little bit, uh, well, this isn't as random as, uh, you know, the car, it's supposed to be random here. Yeah. But this is actually not super random. It goes back to the idea of collaboration and music. Um, DVC, uh, we always really, uh, our goal is to incorporate music, live music, as much as possible. We've done some very unconventional musicals in which we have, uh, depending on what we've required, uh, have brought in any, everything from just a keyboard player to a full band. Um, but uh, even in a show like this, which is not a musical, um, we do have some original music uh, written by a local musician, Doug Waterman, and who performs the songs in the show. Um, we're always looking to incorporate that idea of of live music into the production because the music inspires every piece that we make, whether or not it's, you know, has songs written into the show or not. And, uh, and so those kind of connections and ideas that the arts are all intertwined in that way to tell a story is, uh, it's an important thing for us. And hopefully it's an important thing for, you know, 
a lot of groups in the community. Yeah, just last week I saw the Rochester Oratorio Society performed with students at Robert Singers and also an orchestra and singers from Canada, Our Nathaniel Dett's Oratorio, The Ordering of Moses. It tells the story of Moses leading his people, you know, out of leading the Israelites out of Egypt, but it also incorporates spirituals. It's a metaphor for the enslaved leaving, you know, in America. And he is a 1932 first black graduate of the Eastman School of Music, incorporated spirituals into his work, but Thomas Warfield danced in the beginning of the performance, this dance with chains, and it was amazing and powerful, and not something that Det wrote dance to go with it, but the way it was performed came across so beautifully, especially because he's a very thoughtful, powerful performer, and so it was also amazing, just music, the swells of the choir, when the seas part and the Israelites go through, the choir just sings, ah, but it's like all, it, mm -hmm. you feel the waves, especially in the Hoxton Performance Hall. It was one of I love Hoxton. Yeah, by the way, the hall was just redone. It's so They've beautiful. got a Halloween thing coming up, too. It oh, looks, yeah. looks really neat. There's a kids concert. Or, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like or, little... ki or kids of any age. I think it's October 30th. It's, yeah, it's they're doing 30th. all the Halloween classics. I found classics. like care for things there. I love their place. But I, I, now, this is like the, con we're winding down. We could go on for four hours as usual because it's so fun, but I have to ask, now this is like we don't try to get into politics and stuff. I this is going to be like the, the question probably ruins the audience. Alexis, what do you think of Sandman? <laughs> I've heard some people. Well, don't. I I enjoyed it for what it needed to be to get across to sort of a new audience. There were a lot of distinct differences, and I think they were sort of necessary in transferring a medium for a new time, an audience who isn't familiar and can't, I don't want to say they don't have the attention span, but I mean, it's kind of a slower burn in the comics and sort of relies on you wanting to turn the page, wanting to see more. But in a, in a streaming medium, some of the character development uh, did come across a little... Accelerated yeah, development. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, which I think is kind of at a detriment to what the what the story is about in some ways but i think that a lot of the changes made were necessary in order for i don't know to be accessible to probably a modern, somebody like we like yeah. we love the books but actually julia caught one thing about it on there when they did 911 because it should be 999 oh, because it's england? in england oh. See, I was surprised in a way, having loved these since high school, I think, and now I'm okay, 41. You were... <laughs> like, I was surprised how many things were realized very similarly. I guess so many times when I see something adopted for a movie or, you know, a stage, in one way is what works in a book doesn't always work on stage or screen, which is why I think sometimes operas or plays are well adapted out of short stories, out of something with a lot of space, because mm -hmm. you're not trying to put everything in. So especially in opera when there's time to sing, because you need your arias and then your action and your recitative. So in this, I was just surprised how many things I recognized, or are they going to that? But then there was one or two young actors who I thought were not super strong that may have had a major role, like Rose, that <laughs> made it a little <laughs> difficult. But... Um, other things I thought were pretty... I was just struck by a lot of it. Yeah, I like, think because of the graphic novel format, there's actually a lot of ability to draw and create the images as yeah. they were or as they were sort of intended to be. And I think that does give them kind of a... Not an easier job, but mm -hmm. it makes it easier for us to recognize those things directly and be like, that's exactly what it was. That's exactly what it was supposed to be. And then it, it also kind of makes it more obvious when it's not. See, and I really liked, say, Lucienne instead of Lucien, but someone else, a friend of mine, a woman of color, said she felt uncomfortable with 
a woman of color being the one who bails out mm. the boss and all this. Like, the dynamic in trying to include more characters of color, what roles they put them in, made them... Un- you know, un- I also don't know, are they going to make any more? Do they have any money to make I don't any know more if they've them? decided yet. They, I've been following it a lot. and they, I actually will say I did like Good Omens a lot. Oh, the second season's coming Something. out. Oh. Was, was it like a no or a Oh, yes? no, I haven't gotten to watch it No, really, I so. love that. The only thing is David Tennant looks like Getty Lee. <laughs> <laughs> Having been recently, very recently involved in a production where we had to adapt it from one format to another and maintain uh, the uh, elements in the piece, I would have to say that at least on our end, a lot of conversation and discussion goes into how do we get this piece across revisions of things you have this idea in your heads of this is what this piece is and especially when something is really good when like sandman right you have something that's beloved by people and is so excellently constructed there are certain things you can take and say well adapting it's going to make it better in a lot of ways but when you have pieces that are already established and very well written and you know have a lot of meaning to people like we sat down and looked at this and thought how do we make these changes in a way that is true to the story but is also going to work for the new format and i think in this case and with sandman it certainly helps when the creator of the piece is directly involved in the process Mm -hmm. so neil gaiman's directly involved in making this adaptation come to life so at the very least he's signed off on these things if not been part of meetings where they have talked extensively about how do we take this and bring it into you know this new format. I just think you're likely to be a lot more successful when you're doing that with the creator mm-hmm. of the You piece. think it would have been better maybe if they used animation because it could do more? Mm. Maybe. I mean, who's to say better? Certainly different. They would have had a lot more freedoms and options that I guess is limited by the live format. But like Dream of a Thousand Cats is one of my favorite stories from the original comics actually for for oh, whatever reason, yeah. I don't know why. As soon as it started, even with the animation, I was weeping. But I think they had, because of the format they're using, they have a lot of freedom to take those and make them those moments when they need to be, which I yeah. think is really cool, the ways that they choose to do that. And I think it's better than, say, I love um, Neil Gaiman's Stardust, and I still can't stand the movie because the oh. score is so bad. The movie itself, the score is so distractingly bad. The score, and it's like... Normally, I don't. I'm not just because I'm a music person. Always listening for that, but it is not just blandly back there not doing anything. It is actively. If the music, me. right? If the music Sorry. does something, if the lighting, if all of these things are good, you're probably not really noticing them. Yeah. They're because they're serving the overall story and what you're trying to do. But when they're not, they stand oh. out in a way that detracts oh. from you enjoying yeah. it. No, that could do it. Like somebody said the one time, like about so there was one review of The Graduate where it said some critic said, "Well, Simon and Garfunkel's songs don't mean anything to it." You know, and the music people forget. Like you know, the music adds so much to it. Yeah, and sometimes there's no, but yeah, that idea that when it's all working, you aren't thinking like, "Oh, that piece, that that ingredient, that ingredient." Instead, you're just like, "That is a delicious flavor or whatever." Right. You yeah. Know? should all come together. To a lot of that's the how they mix it, too. Sometimes yeah. they mix it in your face. Yeah. <clears throat> Other times, if it's nice and in the background, you're kind of like, oh, yeah. It adds more ambiance and more mood, but when they jack yeah. up the sound, sometimes it's... And then there up. can be times, I guess, where you want attention. I'd say The Lobster, the uh, movie. I don't know if anyone saw I see, that. Yeah, so yeah. The, it was very strange. Strange about if people don't end up in relationships, they get turned into animals. It's right. this uh, mm-hmm. experimental director, but in it, 
That one, there's silences and then like big washes of like a Shostakovich string quartet because they're in a dystopian world and it's like so in your face that I think he wants you to notice like I'm doing that. Right. As opposed to just trying to have a nice background score that there's is a lot bad to do enough with that intention. you notice. <laughs> yes, the intention right, right. is all of it. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, got sorry. through talking this with Sam without any violence or any like anger or anything. I was worried. <laughs> I would say that we are stuck in muck. Yeah. I think that should be your T-shirt. Yeah. Get stuck in muck. DVC stuck in the muck. I mean, <laughs> no, not, I realize like, we take it we take it passionately because we love the work, but we have to remember like the first issue of Sandman sold like sixty thousand copies. I'm sure it's done better since then, but most people seeing this are wondering like. They'd never seen it before. I'm so happy in a way that people are into it. It's so weird because these were the things like when I was at least in the 90s and middle and high school that you were very weird if you were into. And now they're it's like very odd to see like my mom or my cousin, you know, like just my boss at work quoting Sandman in a card to me. And I'm like, oh, okay. No, I used to do Neil Gaiman. He lived in Minnesota. Greg has to exit us early. He's been taken away to work for Sandman. He's got to go work. No, I have a a party. I'm supposed to go to a kid's party. (laughs) party. (laughs) (laughs) I was excited for a second. So the rock clown is here. Yes. But I used to like, I subscribed to Magian line, which is just Neil Gaiman. When he lived in Minnesota, it was a bookstore. And I would get like, all this stuff, like the tellers of the Emperor Globius or whatever, all the sign stuff, and you could actually correspond with Neil before it got big. Yeah. And I just look back and go, wow, you know, I was in at the ground floor and look. <laughs> oh, speaking of bookstores, I have to give a shout out. Haven't been there yet. I don't know if it's open, but someone just told me I looked up. There's a bookstore that was in Hong Kong called Bleak House, an amazing family run independent bookstore. They closed because they were leaving Hong Kong because of politics getting a little too. Tough. They're reopening, as they said, in New York, but not the New York you think. They're opening in Honeyoy Falls. Bleak oh. House Books. So hopefully all their international the customers will keep supporting it, but there is an independent family-run bookstore opening in the village of Honeyoy Falls. I love that. It's like Falls. one of my that's, that's never the like When I lived in DuPont Sorry, Circle, honey. especially, that was my Wednesdays, just hitting bookstores. Yeah. I love the good old used bookstores. It's a fun. So, yeah. This has been really fun, and it's been, of course, you'll have to come back, Mona. Oh. You'll have to you'll have to do more plays to come back. Right. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> We're on the docket for 2023. Huh. That's awesome, but just we'll wrap it up a little first. You're, we'll go to you as third. Your show. Do you want? To do, so I'm on cla- WXXI Classical 91.5 on FM. Even when she comes on our show, I hear her on the radio <laughs> yeah. coming down to the show. Three to here. seven on weekdays, and also now Wednesdays noon to one. You can come out to Hockstein or listen to live from Hockstein. We have live concerts that are broadcast also, and then there's bands at the Little, and we've got upcoming screenings of Tar and the Singing Revolution about Estonian song festivals and resisting Soviet occupation through musical identity. I it's think- a spooky little during yeah. the. Oh, yeah, it's also spooky season, all sorts of great stuff. And I'm hosting on Wednesday a bike event about biking in Rochester and health. And I don't know. I'm around. Ken's (laughs) making balloon animals at the moment. That's right. I'm going to make balloon animals. So look out for them on the corner and stuff and selling hot dogs. But now, you know, making balloon animals for you. Taking amazing Kubrick perspective shots. For us vegans, we're in trouble. So, and now... Tell us last about House of Hands and everything again. Where can we find it? We know, I know, but everybody else has to know. <laughs> I will be happy to inform you. So for more information on the House of Hands, uh, which will be happening the weekend of October 28th through 30th and November 3rd through the 5th, you can go to dvctheater.com. So this is D-V-C-T-H-E-A-T-R-E, right? The R before the E. Theater, theater like the event, that was not my, theater be like the building. <laughs> yeah. DVCTheater.com, but of course, you can just also go to muck, uh, M-U-C-C-C.org, 
And uh, there's a link uh, that you can yeah. get to those yeah. places from there. Put it this way. I got our tickets easily. If I can do it, you can do it. Too. So easy to acquire <laughs> tickets. Uh, and do so ahead of time. That would be amazing. Um, it can it, sell out. We have our tickets. So I look, get permission. <laughs> the show is uh, um, it's new. It's exciting. It's queer. It's relevant. And it is uh, a powerful piece of art that I hope we are making a powerful piece of theater. And Alexis talks a lot. So, much. so please go there and make Alexis <laughs> intimidated. <laughs> if you'd like to, you could come back and just talk for two hours on this without I, us. No, no, no. I already have a lot of that to do next yeah, week. But, so but the last thing we'll do is our good friends on Nightfall actually made a concept of Nightfall After Dark Shadows. Lisa loves Dark Shadows. Anybody a Dark Shadows fan? Not you, MJ. Uh, Collins, you what? No. <laughs> you know, do you love yeah. it? I watched the old one with my mom. Well, yeah. good. I will let you because I haven't watched it in a while. There's a concept film. You could pick out the track we're going to play at the end. Oh, let's see. Do we want um, Night Creatures? Here we are. See, that did take you long. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Very good. And thanks a lot, Voda, for that one. So we're going to hear this. You can find this anywhere. They're going to have a CD released, shockingly, by Halloween. It's Nightfall After Dark Shadows. And this is It's a concept based on Dark Shadows, obviously. And Lisa was telling me she's going through all 1,250 episodes as we speak. So this is Night Creatures. And thanks, everybody. Go see the show. Go listen to Mona. Listen to us if you want, I guess. Smart smart local Rochester Arts. See you. shadows lies a woman in the night in the darkness of the shadows lies a lifetime of moonlight my dark shadows loom around of the shadows lies a woman